This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. Connecticut's kind of like the New Jersey of New England, and uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's really unfortunate. But I, I will, I will. I'm not even from here. I'm, I'm from upstate New York. But I, I'll, I'll fucking cut you if you insult Connecticut. So I, I, I actually love this city a lot, and and uh, I don't know. That, it's that it's, a, weird, be it's on, a weird place. That should be on a T-shirt. I'll fucking cut you if you talk shit. About <laughs> <laughs> Host of the show, the guy that makes everything go, Aaron Wall, joined as usual by Tim Johnson. This week, no TJ Nut. He's off playing hockey, uh, so he's not with us. But uh, we do have a guest, and Tim, tell us all about him. Yeah, well, this week we are lucky enough to be joined uh, by my friend Joe Plouffe, who is my main Temple of the Dog debater. Uh, <laughs> he is also, uh, he, yeah. Well, I I'll let him kind of talk about this, but he is he is the brand Hanging Hills right now. Yeah, Hanging Hills. Uh, that's true. So, uh, yeah, Joe, welcome. Tell Thank our you. listeners a little bit about yourself. Anything I didn't say? Uh, thanks for that lovely introduction. And uh, the, the Temple of the Dog business is just that Tim is wrong. Uh, and he thinks that Chris Cornell's a better singer than Eddie Vedder. But the 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 reason why I win this argument is that Eddie Vedder's alive. <laughs> well, that's uh, an indisputable fact. Yes, yes. Currently, Eddie Vedder is currently a better singer. I will agree. And uh, and there's also the fact that Pearl Jam just uh, you know they, they were still touring even when Chris Cornell was still alive. So. Uh, I, I win this argument, uh, and it's okay that you're wrong. I'll uh, I'll let you go ahead and say that since you gave me beer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I'm wrong every single day, so it, I'm glad that like for once that somebody said I'm right. Um, all right, so uh, yeah, I'm Joe. Um, as Tim said, I'm sort of the brand behind Hanging Hills right now. Um, we uh, we officially I'll do the bad news first. Hanging Hills closed their production facility. Uh, it's weird speaking in the third person about it, but we uh, they, they closed their third the, their production facility on March 12th of this year. Um, COVID played a factor in that, um, but uh, internal strife and uh, uh, being desperately underfunded to start, uh, and then spending four years just sucking wind, even though our beers were great. And respected in the community, just we just couldn't ever find a month where we were in the green. So uh, we called it quits. But I, um, I'm stubborn, and uh, I, I've met a lot of people since we opened up. And um, you know, as, I, as the de facto face of the brand, I, I get to go out and meet people, and it has allowed me to meet 
uh, people who liked our brand and they liked our beers and now they want to partner with us to reopen the, the, the brewery in another location. So, um, so fuck COVID because it slowed everything down. And um, we were working on a project here in Hartford, Connecticut uh, to reopen. I can't really give the location just yet, but it's a gorgeous uh, brick, literal brick and mortar uh, location here in Hartford, um, right next to uh, a market that just opened up that sort of specializes in like food stall food. You know, I don't know if it's sort of taken over the Midwest and the West Coast as much as it has here in Northeast, but there's all of these like food market stall type open air and, uh, and indoor places where you can go and get like any number of foods from all over the world if you if you so desire. So uh, one just opened up here in Hartford and I'm working to open up a brewery right next door. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, two things. Um, yes. One, uh, we don't swear on the podcast, so we'll, we'll edit that out. It's no big deal. Uh, no, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> I mean, like, that's really the fucking. Why do you have a podcast if you don't swear? <laughs> the FCC normally, does not apply here. Normally, uh, you know, normally we tell people say what you want, and I know we didn't tell you that, so I'm like, this is the perfect opportunity to uh, really fuck with somebody. Your podcast um, fucking sucks. <laughs> And, uh, no, but secondly, for those people who may not be putting two and two together, Tim, obviously, and I know, but uh, when you're talking Hartford, you're talking Connecticut. Yes, Hartford. Um, so Hartford, Connecticut people, um, for those of you in multiple time zones. Um, but, yeah, so that's cool. I've, I've been to Hartford, actually. Uh, Come on. I've, I've flown in there, actually, and uh, I've got a buddy that's originally from Maine that lives in Hartford. Get the hell out. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's nuts. How? What, what? Why is he in Hartford? Is he uh, working with parents? I don't. You know, I'm not sure what he's doing now. He he did run. Uh, he did work at the the uh, like the community ice rink thing for a while. Okay, that's because uh, he used to play some minor league hockey and he was an equipment guy for minor league hockey teams and stuff for a while. Um, but. but uh, yeah, I'm not sure what he's doing now, to be honest, because he moved back to Maine and then he ended up going back to Hartford. I, I don't know. Uh, hard to keep up. But yeah, so I went to Hartford one time because I had to go to, for my real job, uh, the federal prison in Danbury. Come on. Yeah. And uh, then also up to uh, Raybrook, New York, uh, up by Lake Placid, because there's a prison up there. Are you a traveling uh, prison salesman? I'm a. I'm, I'm a <laughs> traveling soap salesman uh, <laughs> so we do laundries and kitchens and stuff like that uh, so you know the there's a company that starts with an e that i won't say the name that's the huge giant in our industry that you probably know yeah uh, but uh yeah i don't work for them because they suck but um <laughs> you know that's what i do but yeah so i've been up there uh, hartford was a, a beautiful city what little of it i got to see the time i was there but, well, that's awfully nice of you to say. I, uh, I'm, I'm a defender of this city. We get a lot of shit, especially here in New England, because anywhere outside of Connecticut, uh, if you go to if you go to Massachusetts, Massachusetts just treat Connecticut like, you know, like uh, just something you would put in the basement and kind of ignore. 
Uh, and then, like, the rest of New England is cute and quaint. They've got the, the steeples and the trees, and it's gorgeous. they got mountains. And Connecticut's kind of like the New Jersey of New England. And uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's really unfortunate. But I, I will, I will, I'm not even from here. I'm, I'm from upstate New York. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll fucking cut you if you insult Connecticut. So I, I, I actually love this city a lot. And, and uh, I don't know. That, it's, that it's, a weird, be it's a weird place. That should be on a T-shirt. I'll fucking cut you if you talk shit. About it. <laughs> uh, oh, that's right. I forgot my my sister-in-law grew up in Connecticut. I think too. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and she was just back there somewhere. I don't know where. Where do they have wild horses on the beach? Uh, in Connecticut. In that Connecticut somewhere, little freaking ponies running around on the beach or something. I mean, they're all over Virginia. I've not heard of wild ponies on the beach in Connecticut, but I, I don't know. Maybe I'll get, I'll lose my Connecticut passport oh. for saying I don't know about the ponies maybe, on the beach. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It was on Facebook. I don't really pay that much attention. <laughs> She's my was, sister-in-law. I don't have to know that much. It was thirty to fifty feral hogs, I think. <laughs> that could be anywhere in Texas. Shit. Um, but uh, yo, yeah, my buddy currently lives in Shelton. Oh Jesus! Yeah, that's uh, that's in the valley, the Naugatuck Valley. Those yeah. People, those people, they uh, for a while there, when Hanging Hills was still producing beer at our facility, that valley was drinking somewhere between like fifty and seventy cases a month of our pale ale, and it was like the only place in the entire state where I didn't have to work really hard to sell a pale ale. And well, that could have just could have just been my buddy. <laughs> we, we used to drink a lot of beer together so yeah it's a it's a cool part of the state but yeah well that's good that so when you reopen you're going to reopen obviously uh eventually yes. what's the for those people who may be in that area and i'm definitely going to tag my buddy on this so uh because it's pertinent to him to make sure he listens um what's the time frame i mean would you have a, an idea of how that's going to go i mean i i think between now and when a vaccine arrives is uh is, is sort of I, I, I think a lot of new breweries are kind of looking at right now um it's funny because it, it, you know we used to joke like there'd be like 10 breweries opening a, a month or a week or whatever and now if somebody opens up during covid you're like holy shit dude are you okay yeah, it, it's amazing when I, when I've seen just a couple that have opened around here, and I'm like, how? Yeah, what? Like, like <laughs> I guess it's because you've got so much already invested, but like at some point, like the sunk cost has to come into effect, right? Like, there's no way to build brand equity right now. Yeah, exactly. Your beer could be like, you know, like like Hill Farmstead or, or, or like wherever, uh, you know, it could be like world class beer. But how the hell are you going to get your name out there at this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm really lucky. We um, well, let me take that back a step. We were really stupid when we opened up Hanging Hills because we were not an own premise. We did not focus specifically on own premise. We always wanted to be a distribution brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite the fact that our tasting room never really made that much money because of its location, we were kind of in this kind of hard scrabble light industrial neighborhood in the South end of Hartford. Our, our distribution footprint was statewide and we, we had all of the counties in the, in the, in the state 
And at any given point, we had 250 to 350 accounts, and we're only a 10-barrel brewery. So, like, you know, that's a pretty substantial footprint for, for what we were putting out. And now yeah. that COVID has hit and I'm contract brewing, like, I'm packaging more beer than I was when we were open, and I'm selling all of it week to week. So, um, you know, like, I, 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 it sucks to brag during COVID. Like, I, I, I feel guilty whenever I say anything good about anything in my life ever. But uh, the the sales have been really incredible. People are drinking really well at home these days. So, uh, COVID, fuck off. But uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, but that's the thing. The businesses that, that are going to survive and come out of it pivoted and changed what they were doing. And I don't care what industry you're talking about. Everybody had to do that. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it is, well, like you say, you don't necessarily want to brag about it, but it's something to be, you should in the long run be proud of probably because, hey, you managed it. You you took what the world sent at you and there wasn't anything you could do about it, um, which is something, to, there's something to be said for that as a business person and, and all of that, at least from my point of view, because, you know, I'm a sales guy and a business guy. So, um, but it, it's tough, no doubt. Don't don't compliment him too much. He doesn't he doesn't need that much. <laughs> well, well, here let me shift gears then. Yeah, don't feed the crowd, um, dude. So, <laughs> Joe, Joe was nice enough to help us procure some yeast samples for this episode, um, but in doing so, he completely destroyed our typical format um, because we now have two beers that we're drinking tonight. Um, one of which we've already poured. It is one of his beers, um, and so why don't you tell us a, about this beer, um, and we'll do a little less maybe formal tasting than we do with the other one, but uh, so that people know what it is, and I assume this is probably a beer that you're going to make again and all of that kind of stuff when you get rolling again and everything. So, Yeah, so the beer, the beer is Compromise. Um, and if you look at the label, it, you know, it's like Russian Imperial style or Crimean Imperial style. But then we crossed out Crimean and replaced it with Russian uh, because uh, we're smart asses uh, for people who get like like for the five people who get that joke. Um, <laughs> this sort of who we are like nobody ever laughs at our jokes, but um, we try hard. But um, it's a so the base beer is um, boosted with Connecticut. Um, honey and Connecticut maple syrup. Um, and so it goes into uh, the boil at roughly about, I would say like nine and a half percent ABV, potential ABV. And then we boost it up substantially with a whole shit ton of maple syrup and honey. Um, and then the one that I sent you guys uh, went to Barton 1792 barrels and spent some time there. Um, we are not, I mean, like, yes, we did throw in some, a little bit of lactose and yes, we did throw in some honey and, and maple, but as Tim can tell you, those, those adjuncts that we threw in and the boil are hundred percent fermentable. Um, and they're not like cake ingredients. They're not cooking ingredients. We, we just wanted to, we wanted to create a Russian Imperial stout that was like on par with, um, you know, old Rasputin, uh, because that is a beer that we kind of cut our teeth on. Um, and, and, and so Brian and I, who he and I don't get along so well these days, but when we were writing the business plan, we always thought, we always thought that, you know, uh, Imperial Stout was going to be 
it didn't have to have a bunch of cake and, and, and bullshit in it to be good. Like you can make a really good one without having to go overboard with those kind of those type of ingredients. And that's what Compromat is. It's it's a it's a monster beer. It is it it does have sixty five IBUs on the label, and I'll tell you that all sixty five IBUs are there. It does have a, a bitterness that kind of supports the malt body. It supports the the lactose. It supports the ABV. I mean, the ABV. The dangerous thing about this beer is that. Uh, it's 11%, but it's probably higher because we spent time in the barrels and don't tell the TTB that. They're a big listener to the pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're on the cutting edge, so they listen to everything we say. God damn. The you know, and like they don't crack down on anybody, but they're going to crack down on me for this. Uh, <laughs> So uh, this is a beer. This is a beer we put out once a year, and we usually put it out. We, this particular, the bourbon barrel one, we put out on Black Friday, um, and uh, you know we come out with we we usually release it with a really fancy glass, and uh, it's probably one of our highest rated beers on Untapped, which means like I, I say that just so that we have something to relate to, but uh, as a group of people who drink beer, we all know that Untapped sucks shit. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a I strong just, proponent of Untapped, sir. Are you? Sir? <laughs> no, no. Because no. I don't even have one. I don't. I, no. uh, I, you know, I, I had an article that I wrote going off on Untapped users that uh, everyone on the Tailgate Society gives me shit about. Uh, but it's, I think, it, it's some valid criticisms that people. You're asking a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing to rate and comment on on something and it's like all the worst amazon product reviews gone wrong <laughs> like <laughs> this ginsu knife made a terrible toy you're like well yeah of course it did and you know it's the exact same thing for the beers but this There's one a... hey, well, at least it's not youtube comments so oh, yeah well, better, better yet. <laughs> Untapped probably does First. a better job of moderating their Nazis than YouTube does. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tim, I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you saying? No, I was going to say that that I, you know, you pointed out the 65 IBUs at first, and that was like the first thing I noticed when I got this can. Um, it really does definitely kind of stand up to that. Sometimes Russian Imperial Stouts can almost come across, you know, perceived a little bit too sweet. Yeah, cloying. Yeah, right? Uh, and this doesn't come across that way because of, of that strong bitterness in there, but it's not uh, not anything that makes it, that detracts it in any way. Uh, yeah. But it, it is definitely, I you know, you even mentioned Old Rasputin, and I, I would say there's some, some reminiscence there as well, so... Yeah, we thank you. That is um, that's a hell of a compliment. Uh, North Coast across the board is is like a, you know, it's like one of those touchstone breweries. Yeah, for me personally, and especially Old Rasputin. Um, you know, I, I, I the stupidly the night before I I hiked, I did this hike uh, called the Cross Catalina Trail, uh, which is forty eight miles through desert. It's like a desert island off the coast of Los Angeles, which it was really, with a side note, one interesting fact about that island is that there's a herd of, of uh, bison on the island that were imported 
uh, in the 1930s to film a John Ford Western, and then they're just like, fuck it, we're going to leave them there. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that herd of like 30 grew to like 500. But uh, anyways, going back to the reason I started telling the story is the night before I did that hike, I drank four of them with one of, with one of my good buddies, uh, actually two of my good buddies who were also hiking that trail with me. And so every time I think of like hiking and hangovers, I always think of old Rasputin, which I'm, I'm sure North Coast appreciates. Yeah, I was going to say, did uh, do you have a little bit of dry heave while hiking the next day? <laughs> it was like 105, and there's like no water on that island. Like it's, it was, uh, it was sweating so- out the booze from the night before, and you can smell it coming off oh, of your skin. Yeah. You know, when you get like the, the white streaks of salt, like, like yeah. evaporating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like no, I live, I live in, I live in Everett. It does not get that hot here. Yeah, well, I lived in, I lived in Dallas for nine years, so oh, fuck that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. So I know hot. There's no doubt about that. And yeah, so I lived in uh, Federal Way. I lived in Federal Way for ten months. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> But I do remember people complaining about heat and humidity in Federal Way, and I'm like, "Are you people out of your goddamn minds?" Yeah, it hit. I think it hit 80 last week, or maybe 85, <laughs> and people are like, "Oh, it's so hot." And I'm like, "Yeah, whatever." I'm like, okay. Yeah, I mean, we're we're warmer than that in in Minnesota, uh, but all it's going to take is about a five degree temperature change before people start putting on winter jackets. Yeah. You guys- so. I feel like Minnesota, especially your part of the state, has like, 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 uh, just extended seasons. It's like the same season, but you get like, you get like winter, and then it kind of goes away for like a week, and you think it's spring, but then winter comes back for a month. Yep. And then, and then you get like a fake spring, and then you get like a spring spring that lasts for like five days, and all of a sudden it's like humid summer, but then it's cold again for no reason. Yeah, and then, and then you get hot summer, and then you get fake fall. Am I right about this? That that no, that's that's pretty spot on. We have a lot of of you know, winter's going to last for six months, eight months, <laughs> and then like randomly, like three days in January, it's like oh, it's sixty degrees. Like what is going on? And then it gets bitter cold, and then you're wearing shorts. Uh, on St. Patrick's Day, and then you're back in, in a parka on April 1st, and then you've got, like, it's just straight wet. It, between all the rain and everything melting, nothing gets done melting until, like, June. <laughs> it's, and it's, it's, not, yeah, it's been nothing but 90 degrees since then. Yeah, so it's, it's super crazy, you know, it's, it, you know, Tim and I both kind of grew up in Iowa, so... Um, but it's super crazy when you're sitting there in your shorts or whatever, and it's 85 or 90 degrees in the summer, and you can see the storm coming at you. Yeah. And it's a, it's a front. And yes. when that gets to you and goes through, it drops 20 degrees in about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And all, and all of a sudden, it's cold, yeah. like 65, you know, and it's like, what the hell just happened? I'll, I, will, I will give you uh, an example. So... Oh, this is like six years ago. My mom came up for Mother's Day, and we went to a Twins game, and it was a doubleheader, but we only went to the first one. It snowed on us during the first Twins game. 
after the game, uh, we went kind of out to a restaurant. We're sitting on the patio watching the second game in short sleeves. <laughs> the exact same day. First game snowed on us. Second game, we're short sleeves watching it on a patio. That pretty much sums up how weather works here. See, this is the only podcast in the world where you could talk about the weather. And it actually makes sense to talk about the weather because everybody lives in a fucking different time zone. Yeah, exactly. That's insane, by yeah, the we're, way. We're that you guys to pull this off. Yeah, but we're, we're actually all in the northern half of the country, though, too. Yeah, that's true. Oh, shit. Except the guy who's currently driving across Arkansas. But when, like, we, started the po- when we started the podcast, he lived in the mountain time zone and was in Missoula, Montana. And so now he's down in California. <laughs> so... But yeah, he just so we used to have three out of four time zones, and we all lived, you know, in basically the upper latitudes of the uh, U.S. So, but uh, yeah, no. Um, so this beer, uh, back to yes, the, that. Um, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't even look at the label when I got it because I just I didn't really want to know anything when I got first got. It. This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. Ah, oh, shit. All right, Aaron, should we get back? Oh, so uh, welcome back to Bitter Units. I have no <laughs> idea where David is going to decide to cut this together because there's been some pretty good stuff in the last, oh, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. <laughs> that He might just decide to cut in early before we... Uh, before we actually got back to the hey welcome back part of the show um we've got uh we've got more beer to drink um that's what we do um tim i don't i honestly don't know anything about this beer i i know of it i'm pretty sure i've never had it um despite my entire summer spent in Maine one time in college uh, where I'm sure I could have gotten a hold of it. Um, but uh, tell us what we're drinking. So Joe and I were talking the other day about what are kind of some of those old school lagers that we got down on. And, you know, he's a big fan of the Ganny. So Narragansett lager uh, it's been around for 200 some years. Uh Actually, I'm gonna. I think 1890. It says they, right uh, on the can 1890. Oh, yeah. I was. I thought you were smart. 200 but years would be like uh, not George 200 Walsh. years. Is... Or not 200. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's <laughs> like 130 years, Tim. 30 years. This is like uh, reconstruction has happened, Tim. The Come guy on, who went to school to be a math teacher figure or the PE teacher figured out the math before you did. That's My point is, they've been around since since the 19th century, and we're in the 20th. <laughs> yeah, it's been around a long time. But they they actually went belly up um, 
so do you guys um do you guys know Falstaff being from the yeah. Midwest? Yeah. So mm-hmm. apparently um you know after prohibition everybody gets fucked up after prohibition and Falstaff bought him at some point and they actually they, this is really quaint uh considering uh the the you know how companies combine and we we're we're kind of um you know, we live under various monopolies of certain things that we live with. At the time, Falstaff didn't distribute in New England, and Narragansett did not distribute towards uh, Falstaff's territory. However, uh, being the regional players that they were, they still had to go in front of the SEC uh, to convince the SEC that Falstaff and Narragansett when Falstaff bought them out were not forming a sort of monopoly of regional lager uh, in the 1950s, which I, I, I was reading that today and I was like, holy shit, that's like so quaint. Like, like didn't like Comcast just buy like NBC or, or, or like there, there was a major acquisition with Comcast recently. It was uh, that was substantial, which pretty means pretty much means that like, 10% of our media consumed is coming from one company. Mm-hmm. And at the time, two logger, regional logger companies could not uh, sell to each other because uh, they were actually cracking down on monopolies at the time. It, it was just a wild uh, little tidbit to read. Um, so anyways, we're drinking there, Gansett. And uh, it's a regional logger here in the Northeast. It came back, uh, I think, nineteen, the late 19, uh, early 2000s. Uh, some guys got together and they're like, hey, this brand that is like, you know, at one point was the largest brewery in New England. I think we can uh, get in on 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 people's nostalgia for old brands, especially with uh, Narragansett because they're all over, you know, uh, Yaki Way and they're all over Fenway in, in Boston. And I think that we can tap into people's nostalgia and they've somehow grown it from, you know, uh, a well-funded uh, rebrand of an old brand to, I think that they're opening up like a hundred thousand barrel brewery at some point this summer uh, in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, uh, just since uh, like 2000 and change. So like uh, in the last 10 oh, wow. 15 years, they've really developed this brand of really mediocre beer. <laughs> so how long... <laughs> So I don't mean how... that in a bad way. It's not a bad thing. It's just like perfectly mediocre. Yeah. So how long was it gone? It was gone for about twenty years ish. It's like nineteen eighties ish to the early two thousands. So so that would help explain why I never had it because I was in Maine the summer of ninety seven. So that was pre its resurgence. Yeah, they they were not producing so, it at that point. Yeah. So because I'm pretty sure I drank everything I could find that summer um, in Maine. So. I mean, uh, they they may have been producing it at one of Falstaff's facilities, but not on a, in a way that you would have been able to get it uh, in Maine. It would have been very regional to Rhode Island at the time. Yeah, so which is how I met my friend that lives in Connecticut in Maine that summer. So um, we drank a whole lot of beer in, of all places, the infirmary um, is where we usually sat around and drank. Because we were at, uh, or no, we were at a. Blood? We were at a, a sports camp for uh, believe, for rich kids out of New York City and Montreal, where their some their parents would send them for four to eight weeks every summer. Um, and it was I was a basketball coach, and uh, he was one of the head counselors and stuff. And so beforehand, we showed up. 
uh, three or four weeks before camp opened and kids showed up to, you know, get things ready, repaint, you know, clean the camp up, etc. And we would kill a case or two a night of whatever beer we could get a hold of. And, of and we, we always were in the infirmary when we did it. We were always in the, in the medical office. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was a good time. <laughs> well, Tim and I actually were kind of talking about this because you grew up on your own, like, uh, like cheap, whatever beer you can get your hands on. Uh, for sure right? i mean like uh, you, you, uh, uh I'm, I'm blanking on the midwest old style well you hated old style right tim yeah i, I said that the beer parts for old style were were something terrible yeah but that uh, but that was one of them the cheap yeah. regional uh blats oh blats um I mean, was, you know grain belt premium uh, grain belt's a good one, I yeah. Still love doing the grain belt. Uh, Miller High Life was big. I love High Life. I mean, yeah. High Life in the bottle is like one of the best beers. Period. Uh, you darn right. My, <laughs> did you did you see while we were breaking there? My brother uh, sent us a picture, Tim, based off of our tweets yesterday that oh, uh, with cracking a High Life. It's just it's just him cracking a High Life. Uh, I've got a brother that lives out in Hawaii. And uh, he drinks a lot of beer as well. Um, and Tim, fortunately or unfortunately for him, I'm not sure which, is now hooked into my brother's lunacy as well as mine. So um, it's kind of fantastic just because uh, he enables me giving you crap. Uh, he encourages it very much and, and adds in. I did not realize that was the mustache your brother had. Um, oh, currently, yes. It, it's. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly why he has the Fu Manchu going on right now. Usually he's got a beard, uh, but I like it. Yeah, and it's good. I'm, it's, I'm glad he drinks my life. 100% because my brother does not give an F. Someone uh, needs to know how to, how to flip pictures, though. Ah, uh, well, you know, he's old. He's older than I am, so... <laughs> Oh, uh, fantastic. That's awesome. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's in that, that vein. Blatt's Old South Grain Belt. Um, yeah. You know, those regional Midwest beers. I, boy, there's some other ones, too, that I'm just blanking on. Well, you, like, currently, uh, currently where you're living, you've got Rainier. I've never had a good Rainier. You got, it, you it, always, it always tastes skunky. You just have to drink it ice fucking cold. Yeah. And uh, you have Olympia. No, yeah. Olympia, yeah. Yeah. It's all right. I've had a one or two of those. But it tastes uh, like it tastes like Narragansett. It tastes like Green Belt. It tastes like, you know, Falstaff. It tastes like, you know, all these. Uh, the only, uh, I will say this, and, I, and I'll probably never be allowed back in the Baltimore area again for saying this. The only bad one of these light regional lagers that we all grew up with is Natty Bow. I don't know yeah. if you guys have had natural bohemian. It's the worst beer in America. I say wow. I don't care. I That's don't pretty care strong. You it's the worst. Well, okay. It's the worst. No, it's the worst beer in America. I'm not even going to fucking qualify it. It fucking sucks. There's a picture of me like taking the last <laughs> swig of it where I'm like shaking my fucking cheeks like uh, Beethoven the dog. And it's because so, I have to like get it down my throat. It hurts to get down so, my throat. So have have you have you ever heard of Malort? 
Of course. Right? So is it the Malort of beers? I, I kind of like Malort. It's, it's like if your girlfriend pissed in your mouth <laughs> after drinking Malort. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Which, I mean, like, you know, I haven't done that in a long time, but, like, it was a wild <laughs> night. <laughs> But, oh. but my larger point here is... <laughs> <laughs> I do have a larger point oh. alright so we have these beers all over the country and we'll, we'll fight people like I, I guarantee you the one guy from Baltimore is going to boycott your fucking show and it's going to be my fault <laughs> I'm really sorry you guys are going to have 49 listeners and if you had 50 and I got you down to 49 and I'm sorry it's a major threshold I'd, I'd... I'd tell him to take it up with you on Twitter, but he can't. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, the the thing is that, like, all of these beers within, like, one IBU and, like, one-tenth, maybe even a hundredth of an alcohol point are all exactly the same beer. Like, the only variety that separate, the only thing that, that makes them separate is, like, uh, one brand is using 40% corn and the other one's using 50% corn. They're all the same beer across the country, but we will fucking cut somebody if they made fun of it. And I think that the, with the, uh, I just did a big sniff like a Trump on a fucking debate stage. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, what I was going to say is I, I think the one thing that uh, people are always looking for like this, you know, thing that connects us as people. And that's it. Uh, we all grew up on shitty lager. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I, I think I'm not even sure we have to do the actual tasting part. No, this. We, no it's a because bad beer. every person listening to this, I'm 100% convinced, knows exactly what we're talking about. Yes. Um, there is no aroma. There's no none of that figuring out what it is. Everybody knows what it is. Um, a part of it. But having said that, like you said, you know, everybody's going to fight about their particular one um and but that's the basis of beer really i mean that's what's mass produced it's what's mass quantity it's available everywhere um and it really gives you the foundation in my opinion as a again novice in the beer industry um but it gives you the foundation of what you know craft beers can build off of right? right it's it's like these guys have given you the playbook for what you can sell how bad how right. mediocre it can be right. um so when you exceed that and you give a really superior product there's you know there's going to be a market for it so. i think that i think oh sorry tim i didn't interrupt you no go ahead go ahead well, i just say the um the, the, for a lot of people it's the introductory the introductory beer that isn't like you know, bush light or, or, or whatever you're playing beer pong with when you're, when you're 14, um, the introductory beer is the look like to, to something that's different that has a little bit more quality to it is the local adjunct lager that maybe has five points more bitterness and like just slightly more alcoholic, which in its own, when you're in fucking high school and there's like a 5% beer, it seems like you're drinking vodka in your head. You're like, <laughs> I'm going to get so wasted off of this because I'm so used to drinking 3.5% bullshit. 
but that 5% really pushes it over the line for you. That's the first uh, step that everybody like, uh, you know, there's like the cool kids are like, yeah, my first craft beer was Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And I'm like, yeah, bullshit. Your first uh, non-bullshit like uh, mass-produced adjunct lager was the regional lager that was in your in your uh, the, the part of the country you grew up in. And it's like uh, that's why we're all partial to it. It's like the first time you had an experience that wasn't the bullshit you were you were drinking, you know? And it was probably in the grandpa's fridge. For sure. Right? Because grandpa's been drinking it forever. Yeah. Grandpa's been drinking hams since hams. Oh, hams. That's that's what I was couldn't think of a while ago. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think half the people up here that, that say they like hams just like the brand at, at this point. Uh, yeah, but, ham, hams. I hams, mean, even, not, even, hams is hipster. Yeah, I mean, it's... Even, Minnesota, it's St. Paul. So yeah. Absolutely. Well, even even like back in the day when we were young, PBR. Oh, PBR um, was like the the drink of like the cool kids. I had right. I I had a PBR uh, the other day actually. In a bottle? No, I did I did do a can, uh, just because that's what was available. Um, but it it hit the spot. It was a hot day. It made sense. It yeah, worked. no, it's like perfect for that temperature. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of the of the of the regional light loggers. I think it is something that is a. You know, I look at I look at the world right now because you have kids, right? Like you both, both, all three of us here have kids, and yep. we all look at the world a little bit differently than before we had kids. And I'm, and, and it's kind of hard to when your daughters or your sons and they ask you like, "Hey, what it makes us Americans." What makes us, you know, what gives us something that, you know, they don't phrase it that way. But, you know, what is, when I, when I think of uh, my daughter, she'll say, like, Paris has the Eiffel Tower and they eat cheese. Like, what, and she'll say, well, what is, like, an American thing? And I think the American thing is, like, that we drink shitty beer for a while and then we drink better beer. Um, <laughs> and regardless of, you know, like, uh, uh, so I, I, I'm fairly left-leaning person. And I imagine the person who's diametrically opposed to me on whatever uh, spectrum we're talking about is probably drinking the same shitty lager. Uh, it might be the one thing that we all fucking agree on is that we'll drink hams. I'll drink a Schaefer when I'm in Brooklyn. Uh, I'll drink um, Jenny Cream Ale. Actually, the first beer I ever had was a Jenny Cream Ale. That was the big one out in uh, Western New York. I'm from upstate New York. Uh, but where I grew up, it was it would have been Labatt's in high school. And oh, every, Labatt's, yeah. Yeah, Labatt Blue. But we all would have been drinking Labatt Blue where I grew up in, in, in upstate. Molson? Yeah, well, Molson Export and Molson Canadian, like, you were spending an extra 50 cents per six-pack, and you were, you were like, showing off. That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I and so, <laughs> so I guess my larger point is that, you know, like, regardless, like, if we if we can ever uh, ever figure out our shit right now, it's going to be through light adjunct lager. It's not going to be through IPA. Well, I don't I don't know what things are like out uh, east or west where you guys are. I have noticed that a lot of breweries around here, a lot of craft breweries in Minneapolis, in Minneapolis, have launched adjunct light lagers as part of their their lineup. Uh, just because, I, I, I think you almost have to, um, to to 
to appeal to a broader spectrum of client. Um, what what size facility are we talking about, though? No, I mean, some of some of these have been, um, uh, you know, probably ten barrel brew houses. Some of them have been uh, breweries that do shoot. Let's see, Bolton and yeah, Fulton's a big one. Uh, they're both probably around twenty thousand, thirty thousand barrels. Um, I mean, you can't look at what what um, uh, Firestone Walker has done with, uh, with with I forgot that blonde lager or blonde ale that they do is it's like area code a uh, five hundred eight or eight hundred five eight hundred five eight hundred five yeah. right I think I'm pretty sure if Firestone Walker did five hundred thousand barrels of beer last year that four hundred thousand were of that beer and fi- and Firestone Walker is everywhere in the United States but uh, their 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 footprint. Is very shallow. What they're really selling is this light adjunct lager. I, I do, I do agree with that. I'm just curious if the small guys, if it even matters for them to do it. You know, so I had created it was essentially a cream ale. Yeah, I fermented it nice and cool, and, and it it uh, it came out with basically no esters, and so it really. Came. This is at Badger Hill. Yeah, so so even though this this had. Uh, Chico yeast. It was. Uh, it really tasted light lagery. Uh, it was yeah. four eight or four nine. So you know, it was kind of along these lines. It, it actually tastes fairly similar to this. Uh, it works in certain sectors. You know, and we were, you know, a thirty forty barrel brew house and did uh, maybe you know. A, Three to five thousand barrels a year, so we weren't huge. Yeah. Um, and so it, you know, it's not gonna be number one, but I, I still think there's some people that are just looking, uh, you know, well, I mean, we we are a city of hipsters though too, so there's certainly a part of that. But I have noticed that some. Of the- well, I mean, hipsters can drink uh, the price point. Yeah. Or some I- connection to like some old logo. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is, if you look at all of these around here that have been doing that, uh, they've branded them differently than everything else. Of course, so, like, it's like to about, tie into some hip nostalgia that people forgot about, but that they always remember. Like, like Fulton's doesn't even say Fulton on the packaging; it says Standard Lager. Of course, it's brilliant. Yeah, right. And so it's like a it's like a different brand in their umbrella, and it's kind of, and I think that that's a good beer. The one that's the uh, price point though. Uh, probably like halfway between, like so, probably around like import price point. So okay. not, not craft, but that that uh, that premium domestic, yeah, price point is is where it is. So it does kind of fit into that, but it's not like it's not going to compete with with Bush Light, but it's going to compete with. Uh, well, it's going to steal shelf space from founders as more and pe- more and more people grow angry with founders. I think, well, good, yeah. Uh, with solid gold, and then I guess my large uh, the thing I was trying to point out was just that, like, I think it really works really well for uh, craft breweries who are trying to grow beyond that. I mean, there's this like there's a there's a very um, uh, Sierra Nevada is the exception to this rule, but there's a hard ceiling at like three hundred to four hundred thousand barrels. Hmm. To get above that, you have to, uh, as Aaron was saying, you have to start appealing to a lot of broader 
audiences and and you have to have that price point combined with that neutral flavor profile and uh, that's i think that's where instead of doing this where a lot of breweries have pivoted to seltzers oh yeah right that's something you can you can make with a low ingredient cost super light pretty neutral yeah it's uh, a broad audience i think that it's a good analog and like i i internally resent uh seltzers just uh on on principle but like on the other hand i think joel uh florida brewer uh-huh. uh made a really good point the other day when he was like you know we we uh we we made used to make fun of all these adjunct lager producers but now everybody's throwing in you know whatever the fuck cake they could buy at, at costco into their yeah. beers um and i and i there's there's like an honest to goodness truth to that uh, that, that uh you know we're kind of hitting on right here the 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 goal ultimately at the end of the day is to make something clean and inexpensive for people to drink large quantities of um yeah. and and especially right now like when people are buying their beer almost exclusively from liquor stores package stores and you know like costco type grocery stores um you know like uh we're if if uh getting to your seltzer thing like if if uh we're gonna rag on the the seltzer producers then we also have to rag on on you know the the breweries who are putting caramel and uh i don't know i don't even i don't even know how to make fun of beer anymore right <laughs> i don't i don't know how to like just start saying like uh, oh yeah uh this guy did you hear about this brewery they put hot dogs in their shit and you're like oh yeah like that's been done 10 times already i mean there was a mustard beer Oscar i kept Blue- trying to make fun of beer like in that whole uh monologue that i just gave yeah. and yeah. i couldn't i literally couldn't make fun of beer yeah no i it's gotten i you know, there was a brewery on here that did, they called it an IPA. It had um, lactose, uh, fruit puree, uh, and uh, lactobacillus. And I was like, just because you put in dry hops doesn't make it an IPA. <laughs> All those other things make it not an IPA. How are you calling that an IPA? But, well, I mean, well, you call it an IPA if it puts cash in your register. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, the, the whole idea of, you know, we're going to rag. Well, I was thinking about this because people are having a bunch of like overly fruited uh, beers. Is that really popular right now in, in the Midwest? Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of these things where people love them and I'm like, that doesn't even, that I, it doesn't taste like beer to me. It tastes like something you got off of a TGI Fridays menu. And, and, and to me, I'm like, well, then that's where seltzer actually makes sense. Why should the brewer go through all of that time and expense of making this really good beer that they're going to just kind of completely saturate with puree right. that you can't even taste the beer anymore? Why don't you just go ahead and, and make a neutral grain spirit like, you know, seltzer and then put a bunch of fruit on there? That, it's that's a weird like, beer style, the fruited beers, when, when like, you know, seeing actual pieces of, of fruit you know, like coagulated pectin or whatever is considered a desirable quality in the, in the thing that's produced. It's a, I don't know, man. It's like, uh, you know, it's like seeing rotted fruit in a still life. Like it, it just, it, it like upsets your eye a little bit and it makes yeah. it really hard to focus on, on the product that's being sold. 
And I don't hate fruited beers, but I don't either. I think they're delicious. I drank like two of them before I got on this. I think, I think good. Honestly, what I had said is take something like this, take something like a Ganny, and then add some some fruit shandy. Yeah, yeah, I could get like down a, on, on, on like a, a bullshit on. shandy. Yeah. I actually, I, it's weird because I, I, I like, uh, I, I do want people to drink whatever they want to drink. I just, I take issue. So we're going through those fruited things. And I think that this is a really interesting territory for craft beer as we're all competing with each other to outsell, um, the exploding can beer, which is like a real phenomenon. And it's, it's like incredibly like, you know, selfish and self-centered of the breweries because it's entirely based on the premise that they're sending out a, a flawed product that is on the the onus is on the consumer to take care of it like it's not even like like it's you can you can buy that beer sit at a stool at the bar have a beer and it's still your responsibility as the consumer even though you're still in the place the facility that you bought the product to keep it cold which I don't know. Like I, I, I think that there's something wrong with that. That that, that um, you know we're expecting custo- customers not to have their beer explode on them if we're putting it on. on a, we're selling it to them. Like keep it cold, or it will explode and damage your car, your house. Uh, it may even get some aluminum or shrapnel, shrapnel in your kid and the baby in the uh, car seat. So, uh, so Aaron, oh. as as a non uh, as a non beer person. Are you familiar about with kind of what Joe's talking about with uh, the exploding can thing going on? No, I was going to jump in and ask about it. And then he kind of explained it there that it's a a matter of beers that are being sold. Keep it. You have to keep cold. But I I don't know anything about it. I've heard people reference it. Uh, I think you've talked about it uh, maybe or referenced it before. But I haven't experienced it or read anything about it, you know, myself. So, um interesting subject is to i think i'd be i don't want to have to work to drink beer (laughs) um and that sounds like work like if i have to treat it a certain way i mean don't get me wrong within reason there you gotta take care of things but like to go buy it and then immediately have to take it home and keep it cold and all of that fuck that that seems unreasonable yeah it's um i mean it's it's an industry-wide problem at this point. It used to be like you know a handful of brewers were were doing this, but um, there's a big there's a big uh, oh it, big. It's weird because things that seem big uh, to to people in the industry are probably non-existent to anyone not in the industry. But uh, there's a big own it. There's a like a, this this uh, philosophical uh, conundrum that we're facing with. Is it the brewery's responsibility to uh, put out shelf-stable beers versus is it the brewery's responsibility to give the customers what they want to drink? And that's uh, the, those two things are, are incompatible a lot of the times, and especially when it comes to these type of beers, because the consumers really, really love these heavily pureed beers that have chunks of fruit in them that don't taste like beer any longer, uh, or that don't taste like what we've come to Except but, but those people are stupid and shouldn't have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know how much you can charge for those four packs of puree? Yeah. But not enough to cover the liability lawsuit. 
Yeah, the, well, no, it hasn't injured anyone yet, so that's going yet. to be the big. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I left that in there intentionally. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I say this all the time. I had this, this argument. We've had uh, Michael on the podcast, the owner of Badger Hill, and I'll, you know, say this with him again. I've always said, like, you know, you don't just because you've never gotten into a car accident doesn't mean you don't still put on your seatbelt, right? Uh. Just because you've never, just because you've never had a pregnancy scare, doesn't you don't still use birth control, right? Like, right. like, well, and it's it's a, a very simple way of putting it is just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's one hundred percent on the brewer to say, you know what, I can sell this probable product, and people will buy it, but it, you know, given the risk, it doesn't mean that I should, and so. Those people that have chosen to do it are, you know, should be liable, in my opinion, because they know what's going to happen. Yeah. They've made a conscious decision. It's not like somebody just screwed up in the manufacturing process and you've got a bad, you know, batch, right? Or they're intentionally making it this way and they know this is an issue. Yeah. So, Aaron, Aaron, you bring up some really interesting points. I want to ask you some questions about that uh, as an asshole devil's advocate. Sure. Um, so we have uh, pre-COVID, we were at, what, 8,000 breweries-ish? Uh, um, I, don't, I don't know what that number is now because I, I, I don't read anything anymore. I just focus on getting this thing off the ground. But um, so, yeah, we are 8,000 breweries, and uh, the guy down the street sells out two three four weeks in a row of this pureed beer and right now like we're not competing with narragansett i'm not competing with but but light i'm actually competing with a consumer base uh who's willing to buy the pureed beer so like how do you uh recommend moving away from uh singularity if the if it's hyper local consumerism on the beer front uh, well, it's, I mean, it's a really good question, right? And I, I still think it comes down to, as with most products, um, if you make a superior product and, and do the right thing, your chances of survival in a situation like this are greater. Yeah. Um, and so... You know, because people are going to appreciate that. I mean, not not everybody that does the right thing is going to make it, right? It's not it's not a hundred percent one way or the other. I agree but, with that. But that guy that's selling those fruited beers with a known issue, you know, it, it's that's a moral ambiguity, I guess. Yeah, at I, best, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, that that person that. is willing to risk maiming or injuring someone me personally if i knew i had an exploding can and it could potentially injure somebody's kid or whatever like you talked about right fuck fuck that i'm not doing it i don't care if i my business craters i would feel like a complete asshole dickhead if i blinded some little kid because i, I made think, a product with a known issue i think most brewers agree with that that i've talked to mm -hmm. uh yeah, right. I mean, it could be ninety-five percent of guys, but you, you, you know, but you still got that five percent 
that are looking out for for number one and their business and all that and i can appreciate that to an to an extent right um yeah it's the it's the whole argument right now and geez i've had just enough to drink with 11 percent beer and this <laughs> that and the other thing it's the whole argument right now of how people are super angry at capitalism or a lot of people are there's right. not, not necessarily anything wrong with capitalism what's wrong is the people, the owners, the the people who are forgetting that that extra $10 is not worth the potential risk and liability and what you might be doing to someone. The, 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 they've taken a lot of the humanity out of it, right? There's, there's making as much money as you can the right way, mm-hmm. and then there's just making as much money as you can. Both are capitalism. Right. But one is being a dick and well, the one's other the isn't. logical one's the logical endpoint of the other i think uh so i but, but to your to to i mean to tie this all up in a bow though like uh I, I, if i could if i could um kind of think about the things we've been talking about it, it's that um uh the small breweries can't sell adjunct bloggers because they the they are trying to compete on a local level with the other small brewery who's producing these soured fruited beers. Um, and the adjunct bloggers are the, the, the common thread that brings us all together. And so uh, and the brands that are focusing on those are larger. And what they have, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, what they have that most small breweries never even think about or can afford to do is a sales team sure and and uh, at the end of the day uh you know i, I like 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 i don't want to fight you about um my beliefs on socialism uh and about capitalism but if we're talking about selling beer if you can't like uh if you can't sell your product because you don't have a team and you don't have the effort put into selling a product you can argue. I saw this uh, go through on Twitter yesterday. Some guy from a brewery in Ohio was talking about how saisons didn't sell. Well, he's probably right. It didn't sell because he was the he was the president, CEO, salesperson slash delivery guy of that company. Saisons don't sell uh, when you have fourteen different hats on. But Tank Seven from Boulevard is everywhere. And that's because so, they have a sales and marketing team. That's like an em- a point of emphasis for them. And they're right, like, you know but, what? We're not an I- hazy IPA brewery. It's what we do. It's what we sell. And, right. and I saw that conversation. And I will step in here and say, I, I would actually agree with him in certain markets, particularly here in the Midwest. They don't sell even when we've tried to sell them. Yeah, but then, but then the guy, the uh, Ben Ustick pointed out. He said that the fourth best-selling craft beer in Chicago is off-color saison. Like Chicago has won how many golds in the IPA category, New England IPA category at GABF the last couple of years, but and yet so, they're still drinking saisons in Chicago. But the the challenge is, is that um, if you go into a brewery and they don't have four different IPAs, people get annoyed. Of course. Um, You're right. If you have more than one Saison, they're annoyed. And so, no. I mean, 
Yeah, so that's my question, right? If you're the... So if IPA sell 10 million bajillion barrels a year, whatever the number is, right? And Cezanne sell one one-hundredth of that, does it really matter fourth best-selling Cezanne? Or market for that. It means there's not much of a market for it compared to the IPA market. Yeah, and, um, and I think that's the challenge. I think Andy kind of hit on like right there uh, is that Saison's can sell, but it's still niche and it's still limited to whoever was the first mover. If you're the fifth Saison on the market, you're not gonna. You can't hang your hat on that. Yeah, uh, unless you make a really superior product. And even then, it's not a guarantee. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think what we've learned about a lot of these breweries is it's not the best breweries that are the most that are making the most money. It's the most popular, and those are oftentimes different. Uh, yeah, for sure. But I think, I, think, uh, I think the challenge is, again, with something like Saison, is, uh, you know, Off-Color famously doesn't make IPAs. Never made IPAs. Yeah, they don't, they don't do it. And they can get away with that. There have been multiple breweries in the Twin Cities that have tried to say, hey, we're not going to do that, and then have eventually pivoted. I mean, for, for Pete's sake, Shells made an IPA, and they're like, we're a traditional German uh, lager brewery. We're not going to make an IPA. They ended up making an IPA. Like, it's, it, it has been something that where it's worked in Chicago and worked for off-color that's awesome. And I think that's a good uh, counterpoint, right? That is the that is the gray duck to all ducks or green arc, you know, argument is you can find one that's not. But I still think as a whole, I think it's harder to get a category that is already the fifth most popular style to now be the fourth best seller in the fifth most popular style to be able to get them to sell and do it. Because we tried it at the Hill multiple times. And eventually we just had to quit. I was mad. I, I still wanted to make Cezanne's. But it didn't even matter if they were great saisons. They just, they didn't move. They became soft. Well, you guys are, you guys, you, you're 3,000, 4,000 barrels, have you said? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're, you're dealing with a sales team of what, two? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, all the, thankfully we had, you know, five, six good distributor partners that had some pretty good reps. That, that yeah, but they're, they're also going to do the same thing where, and, and, and I, I have one distributor in the state of Connecticut. I, I actually, I'm going to say this out loud, but I really like them. Like, I'm, I know you're not supposed to say you like your distributor, but my distributor is actually really <laughs> good to me. Yeah. Uh, they treat my company really well, and they move a shit ton of my beer. But uh, if I were to put out a Saison, their sales reps would be like, like I would get text messages from four or five of them, like, what do you want me to do with this style? Tell me how to sell it. And then they, they would give it a week's effort and then move on to IPA. Because IPA, at the end of the day, is the easiest thing to sell. Now, now what I say that, meaning unless you have somebody whose job it is dedicated with, the, with like an intentional focus to sell these products. Well, for it, sure. So. It, it comes down to like what matters to you as a company. And, and well, the guys okay. from color kill it. <laughs> But that's it's it's also brand, right? Again, why off color can get away with that is because people don't expect 
an IPA out of, out of them. They expect something like a Saison out of them. So if you're an IPA brewery and you try to release a Saison, good fucking luck. It's not going to happen. Because- yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where... The, those. So I deal with this through distribution too, right? Um, in my regular life, I work through distribution. Just like you do in the beer business, when you deal with people that are selling your product, you know they're going to sell... And I say sell loosely because a lot of those guys, salespeople of the world don't tune me out too bad, but you know it's true. They're fucking order takers. They're not salespeople. Right, exactly. Uh, You know, so, I mean, I I appreciate that. You got to have people that do those things. Um, But you got to have if you're going to introduce a new product you've got to have somebody that can be out there to educate the consumer about it it's not well, going to do it on its own i think you bring up a really interesting point and i and, and it's something that we we i mean all the breweries that i talk to they're roughly within my size range or like a little bit bigger cuz i i actually have like a shit ton of respect for guys who who have like a replication of process um when 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 you look at these like uh, like like legacy brands, right? Like Sierra or Deschutes or whatever, there is like if you're gonna commit to a product, you don't just like put out the product and have the sales reps go and push it. Like there's uh, if you know that it's gonna be a regular product for you for at least eighteen months, maybe twenty four months, you're gonna have an entire marketing push around it that is well thought out. There's going to be teams working on developing interest and like gauging interest and like measuring consumer response at the tasting room at the at the at the so there's like all of this work that goes into releasing a product because at the end of the day, each one of these breweries are sinking in like tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand dollars, to finding out if this beer is going to make them a hundred thousand dollars. And so like if if we're gonna bitch about uh, a style not selling well and i have done it like i'm a fucking uh, i'm an asshole because i bitch up but when our hefeweizen doesn't move um it's also i didn't introduce it to the customer in the right way i didn't talk to the customer in the right way i didn't have a sales team going out and pre-selling it i didn't have a marketing team te- teasing it out on social media knowing that it was a harder brand to sell and i think that what we've come to expect as an industry is like if it immediately sells that that means that i've done a good job of marketing it versus like if it immediately sells it might be because the consumer is really interested in that particular style no 100 percent. that's exactly it because so think about what we talked about when we did dale's pale ale tim great beer so aaron hated that i had a hot take on dale's pale ale in that if it was released today it would be an ipa that's fair. Um, but because of when it was released, the early, what, 2000s or late 90s, was it? Pale ales were kind of the thing then. And that's what we're going through now with IPAs, right? So what's the, the, the question is, and what's going to really set a brewery on the path to being, say, the next Deschutes or the next whatever, what style of beer is going to be next in that in that chain right pale ales ipas 
do stouts make a big resurgent and become super popular again? Do Saison suddenly become the it thing? Whatever the it thing is, whoever happens to be making a superior or good product of that when that happens is going to become the fat tire or, you know, whatever type. You know what I mean? That's how the, those people, to a certain extent, got lucky. Well, it, I mean, it's funny how you bring up fat tire, though, because that's something where uh, they're tied to that brand to the point where some people don't realize that New Belgium is, is the brewery. They just think of it as fat tire. But at the same time, amber ales have, have taken a huge nosedive. In- Absolutely. Hey, guys, this is Aaron. Uh, I know we got super into the weeds on this pod a little bit um, and didn't do the necessary things to shout out the other podcasts on TGS, uh, Culture Check, and uh, all the other pods. Um, what what are we talking about? Sports and Corks and... Matinee Baseball. Matinee Baseball. Jeez, I mean, we got into the weeds. We all had plenty to drink. Um, hopefully, you really enjoyed that pod or pods, however we decided to cut <laughs> this together because it was super long and uh, really interesting. Um, we sure appreciate you guys hanging in there with us on it, but, uh, make sure you check out dead eye barbecue sauce. Um, remember that the, the beer we drank, uh, officially was Narragansett and the unofficial beer that we drank, you can't get, uh, so Nana, Nana, boo, boo. And, uh, thanks for listening. Make sure you rate review and subscribe to tailgatesociety.com. Check us out on Twitter. I'm at Aaron L wall on Twitter. He's at Tim Johnson MN for JT Nut, who is not here, who is at JT The Nut. And then we also have a new Bitter Units exclusive Twitter handle. Tim, what is that? Is it just Bitter Units? It's at Bitter Units, yeah. At Bitter Units on Twitter. Um, so follow us there and you'll see the podcast uh, pop up there too. So uh, we really appreciate everybody listening to the pod. Like I said, all the feedback you've got, we're willing to listen, even if we don't like to hear it. And uh, we appreciate you hanging in there with us. And uh, we'll see you next time on Bitter Units.